There was a man by the name of Paul Schneider. I heard this story. Uh, he had cerebral palsy. Everything he did required a great amount of effort. I mean, from walking, talking, even eating required great effort. And yet, through this whole ordeal, through this whole situation, this whole experience, he continued to radiate with joy. And he spoke of his physical handicaps as a lifelong, as lifelong but temporary issues. He continued to live one day at a time with his physical struggles and to thank God for all his spiritual blessings, in spite of the circumstances that he found himself in. Now, most of us, I know, would consider living with such physical problems to be amongst life's greatest problems or challenges. But Paul saw them a bit differently. You could say that as we've learned the past few weeks that he dealt with struggles. He saw them differently, the Apostle Paul, but so did this Paul, Paul Schneider. He saw them completely different. With halting speech, he said he had three handicaps. One was cancer, the other one was cerebral palsy, and the other one, the third one, was sin. Referring to what he called Snyder's struggle scale, he said, if I rate my handicaps on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being the least difficult, cancer is uh, 1.5, cerebral palsy a 4, but sin is a 5. You see, we tend to think about our physical problems such as arthritis, cancer, diabetes, even back problems or heart diseases as the greatest struggles that we have in our lives. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's our sin nature that is our greatest problem. It's not those things. We focus on the physical while God focuses on the spiritual. We want to be comfortable while God desires for us to be holy. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. It does not let us down. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, who has been given to me. Chuck Swindoll said, quote, Our suffering, either directly or indirectly, comes from God's love. He cares for us enough to put us through the refining fire so that we might emerge pure and mature, Christ-like. You see, the Apostle Paul, we're very familiar with this story. He had this thorn in the flesh. It was probably a physical limitation, but it helped him, and this was, this was the, uh, the benefit to this thorn in the flesh. It helped him control a greater problem. And that was his tendency to be conceited, to pride in self-exaltation. That was a benefit. That's what he regarded as a gift given to him. No doubt he viewed his spiritual struggle as his greatest problem as well. Because his desire was to honor God in every area of his life. As, as I think about it, often what holds us back is the very thing that God is trying to use to help us along in serving him. 
We put life on pause. We say, when I get through this, if I make it through, then I'll serve God, then I'll do this, then I'll do that. And I can tell you, again, just from what I've seen, what I've experienced, is that that if never comes. And if it does come, it's very short-lived. Paul, like us, he was being taught by the Lord. He was being consecrated. He was being not only set aside, but sanctified. The Lord was doing that in his life, just like you and I. He had a lesson to learn about the strength of God's grace in his life. Do you have that to be learned this morning? Do you need a lesson in God's grace, how it is sufficient truly for everything that pertains to life and godliness. I think we all do. Because that's what we're going to learn this morning. How it was that Paul went on boasting about something. And he says at the beginning of this chapter how he, he must go on. But in not much detail. It wasn't great. It wasn't about himself. It quickly turned to the Lord. You see, he was too weak for that. He couldn't bring himself to boasting about himself. This morning, I pray that you are encouraged by the truth that anything that we go through in life needs to acknowledge a strength that we don't have, but is offered by God to get us through by his strength and to his glory. We are insufficient, but he is never exhausted And the Lord tells each one of us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This morning, we will see something we relate to. We'll see something we would rather not relate to. And we'll see God's answer to earthly issues. Three things. Number one, something worth boasting about. Number two, the thorn of humility. And number three, God's grace is sufficient. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Those are awesome words. We need to, those need to be ringing in our ears and in our hearts, like every day of every, uh, you know, of, of, of every week of, every breath that we take, just everything about our lives, that needs to resonate within us. We need to be reminded of that. So let's take a look at something worth boasting about. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writes, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the, in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, half. I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, 
for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Something worth boasting about. That's what Paul finally gives. Now, we know that he had boasted previously. Um, He did have bragging rights. He was a Hebrew. Uh, He was a Jew. Um, You know, some other things that we know about Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like the cream of the crop. Um, He was absolutely amazing uh, in the sight of all of the religious elite. Much to boast about. And everyone really, truly has something to brag about. You have bragging rights. For some reason or another, you have some bragging rights. And if you don't say it, sometimes it's expressed by the way you come across in certain instances. Everyone also has something to brag about too. Because they're better than you. In some area of life, That's why I'm saying everyone has something to brag about, something to boast about. The Apostle Paul had much to boast about. Some people have more to boast about than others in the eyes of the world. For Paul, he also had something to brag about that far exceeded anything anyone else could bring up. And it wasn't his academic background. It wasn't all the accomplishments. It wasn't any of that. He went on to visions and revelations of the Lord. That's what he brought up. You see, Paul has reluctantly boasted a tiny bit about his genealogy. Remember that from the last chapter? But then, in the last chapter, no doubt the the Christians in Corinth were probably saying, okay, now now we have something that we can really be proud of you for, uh, Paul. And, um, And yet he quickly left that and went directly into how it is that he was persecuted and uh, just all the, the things that he went through, imprisoned, beaten, left for dead. That's, that's what he started bragging about. That was his proof of, of apostleship. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate his own weakness. The final one, being listed as the day that he was lowered in a basket outside the wall of Damascus. That was like the the final thing he wanted to say before going on to boasting about visions and revelations. But now Paul somewhat notes something that would be, to them, noteworthy. Something that would matter to some. But then he doesn't go into the details even of that. He just mentions it. Paul says why he doesn't go on boasting with details. He said in verse 1, I must go on boasting. There is nothing to be gained by it. So he was even, here, here's my, my note before I go into this boasting about this vision and revelation of the Lord. There's really nothing to be gained by it. But I'll tell you anyway. Now we know that there are many, this is not the only vision that is uh, recorded in the Bible. There are many others, just to name a few. You remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He he saw a vision of an angel. In Luke chapter 1, Stephen saw a vision of Jesus. 
as he was being killed, as he was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Peter saw the vision of clean and unclean animals in Acts chapter 10. John, he saw many visions and revelations on the island of Patmos. And we can go on and on and on. So this isn't the only vision recorded in the Bible. And we should not be surprised that Paul and others were spoken to by God through visions and revelations. But at the same time, we also need to understand that these experiences are subjective and are highly prone to misunderstanding and misapplications. The only benefits that we can see from visions and revelations in the Bible are that they benefit the one who is receiving them. That's primarily the the person who is benefiting from these revelations and these visions. Now, we can say extended because of the written word. Of course, it benefits us to see how it is that the Lord worked in their lives at that time. Even in the Apostle Paul, he says, hey, I'm going to talk about this briefly. But it's just briefly. It's not in great detail. Have you ever been told by someone else that they received a vision or a revelation about you? Now, I I don't doubt that someone can receive a vision or revelation from God. But is it just then, at that point, like with that person, is it through them that they're that God is working to give you a word. It's like sometimes I'm very cautious um, to receive something that someone else has told me about myself, that, that God has revealed to them something about me. Because again, sometimes we can misunderstand, sometimes we can misapply those revelations, those visions that perhaps we have received from God. That's why we need to be very careful. Is it for me? Is it for me so that I myself might consider the other person to pray for that other person, to encourage someone else? I believe more times than not, it's for your own benefit, the person who received that. It's to pray for someone else. It's to encourage someone else. Like if we were to tell someone, you know what, the Lord laid you on my heart heavily. And I'm praying for you. I mean, I want to encourage you, perhaps with, with some verses in, in the Bible. I want to lift you up. I don't, know, I don't know of too many revelations or visions that people have told others about that have actually come to fruition. By what will you know that, that uh, prophets are true? If their prophecies come about, right? So again, I just... Be careful. Be careful with, you know, these dreams that you have and how it is that you uh, apply them to other people, okay? Um, Sometimes it could be just that late night pizza that you had. So be careful. Now, Paul speaks of the experience of the third heaven. In the third person, instead of the first person, But we need to also hold this in context, okay? So as we go through, he doesn't just refer to this person in the third person, but in verse 6, he quickly transitions to the first person. 
So really at this point, there's no question whether it was himself that he was talking about or, or someone else. And, and I know many people like to like really study this in depth and like go, well, yeah, but up here he said it in third, the third person. Yeah, but he quickly transitions to the first person. He never had an issue encouraging someone else when there was reason to in other occasions. I was thinking about this. Like He went from third person to first person. But really, we shouldn't question whether it was him or not. He refers to himself. He had no issues in any other place of his letters to either rebuke, exhort, or encourage by name. So why would he start now? So it was the Apostle Paul that he was referring to. Whether in the body, he said, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. He said that two times. Now, this is another section of this text that many people want to dive into and and really bring out. But the Apostle Paul said two times, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Paul didn't know exactly, and neither do we. That's not... What was important here, that's not what he wanted to draw out. He's saying, hey, whether it was like, you know, I was pulled out of the body and was taken to to see all of this. I don't know. In the body, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But that's not the point here. The point is, is that I was taken to paradise. That's the important part of this. What is important, Paul was caught up into paradise. What is important is that Paul heard things, but he can't really talk about them. Why? Because he wasn't given permission to do so. He wasn't told, hey, pass this along. It was given to him. What did Paul hear? Um, You have read just as much as I have and everyone else. Too many people can't resist speculating on this in great detail. I mean, I even read commentators that perhaps it's this, or perhaps it's that, and and so many different commentators. And, And I think, well, where the Bible is silent, we should remain silent. That's a good lesson. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith saying that. Hey, listen, where the where the Bible remains silent, let's remain silent. We don't have any more details than what we have before us. So we're not gonna go into that. Again, let's not lose the point of this text. That's not it. In fact, the Apostle Paul very deliberately said, Hey, I had a vision. I had a revelation. It was paradise. I was there. Things were said that it just isn't lawful for a man to speak. He just talked about the things that he heard he said, if, it, if anything's worth boasting about, it's this. But I'm not going to. It's like, oh, not even that, Paul? Like something, give me something. And that was it. That was all he gave. By the way, third heaven does not imply three levels of heaven that we can achieve. But it offered in describing... What do we have before us right here, our atmosphere? The blue sky. Then we beyond, beyond that, we, we refer to uh, space, right? That is the starry sky. And then beyond that, is it somewhere beyond that? 
It's just another place altogether. That's heaven, paradise. That is what Paul is referring to as the third heaven. The place of God's divine glory, his throne, where he reigns from. And that's what he's referring to as the third heaven. Now, something worth pointing out here is the fact that as we started out, how many years later is he mentioning this? You guys remember reading that? How many years? Is it one, two, five, ten maybe? No, 14 years later. 14. That's many years after this took place that he is talking about it, that he's referring to it. Again, it's very brief though. It's without any real details. That's important for us to to know, to identify, and to take into consideration. You know of people today who say they have visions and they are encouraged by others to write books about them and to go on speaking tours telling everyone about these so-called visions and revelations. But is that really what God, why God has given them these visions and revelations? Is it really for their own benefit? Is this really the Great Commission? Is that what will lead people to salvation in Christ? Or is that bringing glory to man? The bottom line is that not everyone can relate to these visions and revelations. But everyone can relate to weaknesses. And that is what Paul said he would boast in. His weaknesses. Can you all, like if you had something to boast about? Can you say, like, without a shadow of a doubt, I I can boast about my weaknesses. How many could boast about your weaknesses? Just by, real quick. Do you have weaknesses? You are very prideful people. (laughs) That's your weakness. No, weaknesses, right? We can boast about our weaknesses. We can probably just list them all out. Yeah, I'm, I'm weak in these areas, right? In fact, he said... Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, right? He said about his visions and revelations, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. This is great godly discernment. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul was really concerned about this. His discernment was, I don't want anyone to think more of me then it is really necessary. The, the only reason why I want you to think of me is so that you can hear me out. Like, I want to point to Jesus Christ, not to myself. The question is, do you have something worth boasting about? Because we all do. Is there anything keeping you from boasting? Well, Paul did. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, So... To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The thorn of humility. This, this thorn, actually by Paul, was considered to be a blessing, a gift, something that he received. You see, Paul, for Paul, his vision was worth boasting about. He realized this. He understood that, yeah, this would really be something that would be worthy of, of putting out there, of boasting about, as far as I'm concerned, for me. But it was this thorn that kept him from being conceited, about, you know, kept him from being prideful. Matthew Poole said, quote, The best of God's people have in them a root of pride or a disposition to be exalted above measure upon their receipt of favors from God not common to others. That's dangerous. The moment we have something perhaps that, God, that others don't have, man, we can, we can become puffed up. We can become prideful. Paul certainly said, I have this favor, I have this grace, I have this amazing vision in Revelation, but it won't benefit anything at all. It won't benefit any of you. Not the church at all. God exalts selfless humility. The world exalts self-centered pride. How Paul saw this thorn in the flesh is of great importance to you and I. Paul's perspective was twofold. Number one, it was given to him in the flesh. And number two, he considered to be a messenger of Satan. First of all, given. He understood that this thorn was something that God allowed, and so he discerned the reason for it. Because he perceived it correctly. Because he discerned it in the right way. This was something that was given to him. Um... I can think of uh, people like Jacob that considered himself to be afflicted, to be overwhelmed. Um, Job at times, his ladies, you're going through that study. Um, he was overwhelmed. He was afflicted, right? Those were the, the words that he used to describe his circumstances, the things that he was experiencing in life. And here we have the Apostle Paul saying, hey, this was given to me. So on one side, he was saying, hey, he discerned correctly, this was given to me, this was allowed for me to experience in my life. Secondly, he said it was a messenger of Satan. So a gift comes from the Lord, a good gift, right? All good gifts come from the Lord. But secondly, he regarded it as a messenger of Satan. You see, it's in Satan's character to inflict misery and pain. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy he wants to at least um, deem you ineffective as a Christian. Maybe even maim you to the point to where you are unrecognizable. That's his character. And Paul acknowledged that God allowed Satan to do this to him, to apply this thorn in the flesh. But it was Satan and not God that was inflicting him with his thorn. Rightly discerned. This was a gift from God. He discerned that. That's why you can keep a clear mind. You can see everything being well aware of the schemes of the enemy and the character of God. And that's what Paul was doing here. He knew the character of God 
but he also knew the character of Satan and what he desires to do. And that's what led him to understand the reason that this was given to him, this thorn in the flesh, to keep Paul humble. That was the whole reason. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He says, there was given to me. He reckoned his great trial to be a gift. It was well put. He does not say, there was inflicted upon me a thorn in the flesh, but there was given to me. That's really important for us to, to realize, to understand. What was the thorn in the flesh? We don't know, but we do know that it was something more than what would be described as a minor irritation. Um, the original text does not allow us to see this as just this little tack, this little thorn, um, this little sliver. It's not a minor irritation. You can compare it to, uh, you know, from a thorn, like what we would know, to a stake, a tent stake. It was, it was deeply aggravating. It was something that deeply frustrated, deeply troubled, and demanded a conscientious attention, constant attention to be given to his person, his thoughts, his action, his focus, and reliance and complete surrender to the power of Christ and not himself. It's one of those things where he couldn't shake it. Do you have anything like that in your life to where it's like, that? that is not just a minor irritation. That is something I... I cannot even take my mind off of. That is both a gift and a messenger of Satan all at the same time to do the same type of work in your life that God did in Paul's life at that time. To demonstrate to you the trustworthiness of God and help you lean on Him that much more. You just have to discern it correctly. Now, to harass me, As the Apostle Paul describes this, is a statement that means that this messenger wasn't a little nagging voice either. It's like, Satan is not on one shoulder and then God on the other. They're not equal. Okay? God is the creator of the universe. Satan is not a co-creator with him. We need to really take that to heart. This, this nagging voice, or it wasn't a nagging voice, but this, this actually to harass me or to buffet me, as some translations say, it's the act of being beaten. You know, like someone who is beaten back, black and blue. It's like that kind of an infliction. You cannot ignore that. It's just there all of the time. It's pressing on you. It is heavy. It is overwhelming. You can't shake it. Let me ask you this. What if Paul went to a counselor today and told him about all the troubles he has faced? Oh, man. Can you imagine? Every time I open my mouth in the city, I mean, it only lasts for a short period of time, and then they want to beat me. They want to uh, imprison me. Um, In fact, in this one city, they stone me to death. Uh, and then I've gone through sickness, I've been in, um, in the hunger, cold, um, I've dealt with uh, dangers uh, with the brethren, um, with the people in the city, I mean, over and over and over, I mean, all this stuff laid before a counselor. 
What do you think he would receive as counsel? What do you think? Maybe this isn't what you were called to do. Man, all these closed doors, all these things that are happening to you, so hard. I mean, that's beyond hard. You didn't get the point like the first few times, the first few things that happened to you? Stop while you're alive. These are all, quote-unquote, signs that you're on the wrong path. You don't have enough faith. You should stop and focus on being happy. After all, the Lord wants you to be happy. Maybe you haven't prayed enough. Have you proclaimed God's promises enough over your circumstances? Being more than conquerors in Christ doesn't mean you don't go through trials. It means that the victory over sin and death is assured in Christ, and we should act with that confidence in response in everything that we go through. Alan Redpath said this, Perhaps you have looked into the face of a Christian who is always smiling, who never seems to have any worry, is always happy and radiant, and as you have thought about your own circumstances, you have said in your heart, I wish I were he. He seems to have no problems. He doesn't have to take what I do. But perhaps you have lived long enough, as I have, not knowing that sometimes the most radiant face hides great pressures, and often the man who is being most blessed of God is being most buffeted by the devil. Close quote. Great wisdom. Great wisdom. Philippians 4, 6 the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He was taking his own advice. He definitely was doing this. And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's important for us. Our hearts and our minds, they can, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Our thoughts. Have your thoughts ever run away from you? made things bigger than what they actually are. The, the more you talk about these thoughts, the more you just entangle yourself in this web of doubt and deceit. And ugh. No. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That means that you're, you're trusting in the Lord before He even gives you an answer. Why? Because it's by His strength that you're going through it. Let your request be made known to God. Now, when it says here that Paul prayed three times, in the Hebrew, figuratively, that means that he prayed and prayed, and then he continued to pray. He, he prayed basically continuously. He pleaded with God continuously, over and over and over. Paul, you see, didn't give up praying about this. This wasn't something to where he just surrendered. He just said, you know, he surrendered to God's grace, but he didn't surrender. This wasn't something to where, yeah, you know what? God gave it to me, and I'm going to now deal with it. I'm not going to plead with him anymore to, to take it, to remove it from me. No, no, he continued to pray. Lord, this is a thorn that is really heavy. This is something that is beyond me. And it just kept him in this intimate relationship with the Lord. He definitely prayed without ceasing. No, Paul didn't give up praying about this, but we also need to note that, that God did not, in his perfect knowledge, remove it from him. Why? Because again, 
Paul knowing the reason for it, God exalts selfless humility. The world exalts self-centered pride. It kept Paul from becoming conceited. And it was a gift that kept him in union, in and dependence on the Lord. That's truly a gift. When we remain in that place of intimacy with the Lord, because of whatever it is that is being allowed in our own lives, and discern it correctly, that is, that is a good place to be in. And then God's grace is sufficient. Verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This was God's answer, and he did answer the Apostle Paul, to, to Paul's incessant request for him to remove this thorn from him. I'm sure it wasn't what Paul was hoping for. But when he wrote this letter, he understood and wrote why. He knew it, it was to keep me from becoming conceited. It was to ensure humility in my own life. It was to make sure that I'm glorying in the grace of God. Does God answer you in ways that you perhaps hadn't hoped in or expected? I think oftentimes he does. He probably, I would say, answers in my own life more in that manner than he does in the ways that I expect and hope for. Why? Because I'm, I'm, thinking of my, I'm thinking of myself. I'm not thinking sometimes in the big picture, you know? Like there's a bigger picture. Son, I know, I know, you know. You, you ask for yourself and you ask for things to be this way and be that way. But son, I want to teach in you that it's not about you. I want to teach you that my grace is truly sufficient. I have a place for you in, in, in my glory, in my presence. But right now, on the earth, you're serving me and it's a much greater reason. It's, there's a greater purpose to your life. And it may be that it comes at your expense. Are we okay with that? What is it that God desired for Paul? That Paul would acknowledge that God was giving him, uh, what Paul was giving him with grace was sufficient to meet his every need. Instead of being strengthened in his person by getting through this trouble, getting to the other side, he was strengthened by God's grace to bear the load and was forced to continue to rely on God's grace and hopefully not quit. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, Great tribulation brings out the great strength of God. If you never feel inward conflicts and sinking of soul, you do not know much of the upholding power of God. But if you go down, down into the depths of soul anguish till the deep threatens to shut her mouth upon you, and then the Lord rides upon a cherub and does fly, yeah, rides upon the wings of the wind and delivers your soul and catches you away to the third heaven of delight, then you perceive the majesty of divine grace. Oh, there must be the weakness of man, felt, recognized, and mourned over, 
or else the strength of the Son of God will never be perfected in us. What's grace? It's unmerited favor. When we acknowledge God's grace, we are encouraged to know that God is working in and on our behalf. It is His favor giving us strength when we have none in and of ourselves. God says in His grace that His love is enough for you. That's what, that's what He's saying. My grace is sufficient for you. I love you that much that I am your strength. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be there every step of the way. Continue to lean on me. Have faith in me. I I will never let you down, is what he tells us in his word. He also says in his grace, as he provides it for us and is our sufficiency, that he is pleased with us, giving us favor in his eyes. He tells us that we are the apple of his eye. We are his child in Christ. And it was for these reasons, as Paul acknowledged them, that he said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, that that rest would be upon you. And Paul did do just exactly that. For the glory and benefits of Christ. Paul was accepting and content with all of the harassment he was experiencing, and he kept going. Again, these, these ten verses, I mean, we can, we, can, we can go on, we can go deeper, we can take our time, a little bit more time. But again, in its context, the point that, that Paul was making here was just that. That everything for him he has realized was for a reason, And that was to glorify the Lord. And it was all done by the strength of God's grace. By the strength of God's grace. It wasn't in his own strength. It wasn't because he was a a super apostle that he was competing with. He wasn't competing with them. If you think that Christianity is growing to the point of becoming so full of faith that you are in a way independent, become independent of God, and aren't driven daily to depend on God, then you don't know what Christianity is. Sometimes we become so like, oh, I've I've arrived. I have all the wisdom and knowledge I need to have. And then you almost start becoming independent of God and not dependent on Him. It's like, "I, I, I got it, I got it. No, Paul's life exemplified a total dependence on God's grace and God's strength. He kept serving Him. What a great example of one thing. It was a continuous surrender to God's grace. He continued to serve him every day of his life here on earth. And then he rejoiced in heaven once he was there. Everything that Paul did, he acknowledged to be by the strength of God's grace. Paul's conclusion, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not my strength. I'm I'm not displaying my strength. I'm displaying God's strength. That's what needs to receive the glory. It's God, not me. It's like, how do you do it? I don't. How do you have that peace? I, I don't in and of myself. It's not because I meditated long enough, you know, in, in a certain position, in a certain place, and emptied my mind of everything. I opened up my hands and simply surrendered to the Lord. Because I have received His grace. And I am in complete peace.
in him. I said this last week, what can stop a man like this? Think about it. What can stop a man like this? It's relentless. This man was unstoppable. Nothing can stop him. Again, he was beaten, left for dead, and then sprung back up, and he's back in the city. Back. It's like, who is this guy? A surrendered life to Christ is a life that is lived by the strength of God's grace. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, by the way, in Philippians 4.13, he's referring to continuing on when the flesh is too weak and willing to quit. It's not about you. It's not about you. Come on, church. We, We have this way of thinking that it's still about us. It's deeply rooted in our hearts and the way, in our culture, the way we live as Americans. I have this friend of mine that I've known for some time. He's not a believer. I, I, I pray that he does come to Christ someday. Every once in a while, he, the Lord puts him in my, in my path. But he has a tattoo that says self-made. He drives nice cars, lives in nice homes. Self-made man, is, is that's fine for the time being. And he will be exalted, and he is, while he has breath. But the world doesn't care once he stops breathing. It doesn't matter. But you know what? God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's truly where the treasure lays, is in heaven. It's in Christ Jesus, as he has extended to us his right hand of grace in Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ took our place on the cross for us and paid the price for our sins. He died so that we would have life. We repent of our sins and believe on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Alan Redpath said this, Could anyone on earth be more meek than the Son of God to be hung on the cross, hung in our place, that he might redeem us from our sins? As that point of absolute weakness was met by the mighty power of God as he raised him from the dead, I wonder if the pressure of the thorn in Paul's life was a reminder of the power of the cross. We should always look to the cross. That is where the power is. Power is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By his blood. And I pray that if you're here this morning... This, this hit deeply. This is one of those reminders for me that, no, it's not by, it's not by your strength. It's, it's not by anything else. In fact, our strength is like weakness compared to the strength of God, right? We're, we're, not, we're not strong in and of ourselves. It is by God's grace. That is our strength. And we should glorify Him in everything that we say, do, and think. Everything that we give ourselves to, may it all be to His glory. So I pray that it was deeply convicting for that, to to be brought back to that place of humility before the Lord. I also hope that you understand that salvation comes through Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. Acts 4.12 tells us that. John 14.6 tells us that. There's so many other places in Scripture that tells us that. Paul lived a surrendered life when he initially surrendered his life on the road to, to Damascus, to Jesus Christ. That's where salvation is. It's in no one else. No other name under heaven. 
just Jesus Christ. I, I pray that this morning you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Give it to him for as you surrender your life, he gives you life eternal. That's the exchange. You give him your sins, he gives you forgiveness. He gives you his grace. And it is only the beginning. Father, we, um, we come to you this morning, Lord, with uh, such words, Father. To boast not in the things that pertain to the flesh, but in that which pertains to the Spirit. I pray that you would help us to boast in Jesus Christ, in him alone. That we would depend and rely and lean on the power of Christ and not the flesh. That we would walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That we would honor and glorify you and know that peace which surpasses all understanding as we look to you. So Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands. I do pray, Lord, that we would all surrender ourselves to you once more, Lord, just laying ourselves at your feet and asking for your help. We are in desperate need of your help. We're in desperate need of your spirit to be poured into us and to come upon us, Lord, to empower us to do that which glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.